Welcome to the Creative Play and Podcast Network. Join us as we review our favorite RPGs, collectible card games, MMOs, video games, PC games, and bring up interesting topics and things that we'd like to share with everyone. Sit back and enjoy the show. Here in the force of Alandril, we elves defend the woods from beasts and men. I myself have helped drive off goblin raiders, slain a giant spider, and composed an elven symphony for the Blood Moon Harvest Festival. And that was before lunch. So when I'm not sliding down the trunk of a barbarian elephant beast after killing it and its occupants with only my dagger and a few arrows, I look forward to coming home to a dungeon crate. Dungeon Crate is a monthly subscription box service crafted specifically for RPG and tabletop gamers. Miniatures, dice, tokens, coins, maps, modules, terrain pieces, handmade items, RPG jewelry, and more are yours for only a few gold per month. You even get a digital crate along with a physical one as an added bonus. As an elf, I appreciate quality craftsmanship, and Dungeon Crate delivers, even if it's put together by humans. Sir, sentries have discovered several dwarves and a wizard trespassing in our woods. I was wondering what that smell was. DungeonCrate.com. Are you ready? Let the adventure begin. Hey guys, Jim here from Creative Play and Podcast Network. I'm here with JJ and Dan, and we're going to be doing a book review. So JJ, what book do you have there? The book is How to Game Master Like a Fucking Boss by Avenger Asnos Satanist. All right, so what do you guys think about the book so far? We've had a little bit of time to, to flip through it, to read through it. I know my opinions, but I figured I'll hold them to the end. I thought it had some pretty interesting things that I never thought of as a player, at least. Because, I mean... Pretty much at the gaming table, you've got the least jamming experience of the group. Yeah. But uh, as, as a newbie GM, do you think having something like that in your hands would be helpful? Definitely. I think starting, starting off new would be a huge help. And even even with experience, there's ideas and thoughts in there that keep that keep you moving forward. And I like that he he's taking the time to address issues like burnout and steps and plans that you can use to avoid those pitfalls. Yeah, I definitely like flipping through it. it. For one, I love the artwork in it. It reminds me of the classic Van Art style artwork for fantasy stuff. Oh, the Lovecraftian style. Yeah, I mean the great picture with the cultists that are actually Cthulhu looking uh, cults. With the, the maiden being sacrificed. Mm-hmm. It, it, it is great that as a GM you can read through the book and realize that you're not the only one that has the exact same issue happen at your gaming table. Yeah, it's I I love the steps on avoiding conflict. Because I've seen conflicts at the gaming table go horribly, <laughs> awfully awry. Friendships have been lost. Something worse than Monopoly. Oh, <laughs> or more friendships ended over gaming tables than... Over Monopoly boards. So, JJ, what's, what's what's one of the things that you really like in there? Honestly, one of the biggest things that I liked about it was that never expect the game to go 100% the way that you plan it out to go. Is See, that you should always have part of it that you can allow to kind of take its own variance. The the 15% rule? The 15% rule. Yeah, that's a, it's a great uh, paragraph in there about that of... Making sure that you're not railroading anyone, because if you're not 100% in stone, you've got that fluidity to bounce around and let the, let the story evolve just like characters do naturally. Mm-hmm. 
Because there's sometimes that it just makes more sense to go off this way instead of the way you thought you were going. And to not be just married to the idea that you have to do this. Especially if it's the idea of, like, the character is being created that way. Like, if it's something that is essential to the way the character is being developed, just let it happen. Yeah, the actually character-driven story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it it's, it's, sounds really harsh, but, you know, if you're looking for to stick 100% to your idea, write a book, don't run a game. Yeah, because if, if you want to make this beautiful story... I've like I've heard other GMs during panels and things discuss is just just write yourself the story, put it out there, sell it on Amazon because that's the only way exactly what you're writing is going to get it to the game table. Mm-hmm. Because you're going to have what four to six different voices wanting to have their characters the spotlight hero of the story, and the trick is to always make sure it's fluid enough that you can give each player that taste that they are the hero of the story. Yeah, and he addresses the the type of players that you you look to have. And how to deal with disparate personalities in the games that you're running. True, and a lot of the uh, player types that are out there. Oh, we all love our mini-maxers. <laughs> our distracted textures. Yep. <laughs> Folks that are, that are playing, planning their game for the next day while they're playing the game tonight. Because we, we've all been into those type of groups before that, you know... It's just the guy that's sitting there waiting for his turn to come up to roll the dice, and then he ignores everything else going on. That That is a legitimate thing. We've all probably had a, at least one turn of having that happen at a game session, either as that guy or as someone playing next to that guy. Oh, what were we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I, like I said, overall, I think the book is can be really helpful. Um, his The sense of humor that comes across in it makes it a really easy read and he's broken it up nicely oh yeah the the, the actual writing format of this book <laughs> really meant that you can either pick it up and flip to the chapter you're wanting to read just about the specific thing or as a refresher or you can actually enjoy sitting down reading it cover for, cover to cover because I just love some of the, the soliloquies that he puts in there of, of in my life this is what's happened to me in this story situation this has happened to me <laughs> It's always nice to have personal experience written into it. Definitely. Cause the, and, and he even gives, you know, without giving names or anything, he actually gives, this is the situation that happened, and here's how I resolved it, whether for good or for bad. I think it's helpful to realize that, you know, you're not the only GM that's wanted to leap across the table and strangle a player. <laughs> On multiple occasions. It's true. Because it's, it's not just about jamming like a fucking boss. Sometimes in life, it's good to be able to throw something like that at your players and say, hey guys, here's some insight into what it's like to be a GM. Because there's a reason why the GM is the uh, rarest life form at the gaming table. If it was easy, everybody would do it. It's And I think there are a lot of things for players in there to be able to look at if they have a good GM. Because I've played for very good... Pretty good, bad, and awful. When you stop and look and realize how much time a good GM is putting in and the effort they're putting in and how they're adapting on the fly, it makes it easier to appreciate what you're doing. And I think it'll help you be a better player as you're pushing yourself to make the experience more enjoyable both for yourself, the other players, and your game master. Yeah, because then 
you learn to like dial it back and realize, okay, this may not be my level to be the guy, but I'm going to make sure I'm going to throw fodder out there for every other player too to bounce off of. Because mm-hmm. you know you can't always you know be a hundred percent all the time. It's good to be able to crank it back and say, you know what, I'm going to take a background spot in this story. Which, like a lot of good authors do when they write fiction, it's the, here's my main character, here's the support circle around that character. Mm-hmm. It's, all can't be Hercules, some of us have to be Aeolus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also like that it points out that as a GM, you can't really please all of your char- all of the players at once. Yeah, You're always going to have to pick something to appease, th- appease this character that this character isn't going to like. Yeah. yeah and, you have to accept the fact that there's going to be times not everybody's going to love what you're doing. Yeah. And, hey, being a GM, sometimes it is you making that hard call. And one big thing I like that he points out there is when you're the GM, make the call. For good or for wrong, make the call, keep the action flowing. And when you make the call, just make sure that you stay consistent with it. If it's later on, you need to go back and, you know, hey, guys, we're going to retcon this rule. Do it out of the heat of the moment and out of the heat of the story because you want the story to keep going. So that way you're not letting the action get bogged down and everyone to get, you know, derailed on the adventure train. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, it's, I look at the title and it's somewhat misleading. It's because it's, you know, how to game master like a fucking boss. And it's, being a boss isn't, you know, controlling your players. It's just being, having a flow and a movement. Because he doesn't, anywhere that I saw stress controlling the players, controlling the characters. Exactly. It's basically like a good boss who's out there working with you and putting the best people in the best locations for the best things. So, like where he mentions with GMs, you know, you can actually offer suggestions to the players. There's nothing saying you can't, as a GM, say, hey, I really think your character, since this is your specialty, you can do this. I know as a player, I really do benefit from that because I don't always think of things outside the box or, you know, things that I can always do on the moment. So it's always nice to have that extra kind of push of these are your options. Yeah, because usually when you're a GM and coming up with a lot of this stuff on the on the fly, it's... You know you have these five characters. Here are their specialties. You try to make sure that you you write the story specifically to their abilities. And sometimes the character forgets that that's their shtick. Mm -hmm. Especially if, you know, heck, unlike the podcast episodes, if you go weeks between playing in the session, you kind of forget what your character does. I mean, it happens to all of us, especially if there's a big lull in the storyline. I know every like every time we have a break, I have to check through my character just to make sure what I have and mm-hmm. what abilities I have. I mean, I know the general base stats, but you know, skill wise, I have to look yeah. through it. <laughs> you know, for me, I've got currently what three active characters in games. Yeah. So you know, oh yeah, my Jedi Knight doesn't control weather. <laughs> That's a completely different shtick. That's a different character for a different game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can understand that one completely because you know you can never have too many games going on at once makes it more fun that way another thing i did like is in the back of the book it's got lots of different charts that gms can use on the fly too i mean i was actually joking if we made one of our uh, trilogy episodes where we'd have three game sessions one whole game set in three different sessions to wrap up by the end use a shitload of those charts just to make sure to use them and see how fluid they work as Mm -hmm. a 
hey, random shit, let's roll this dice. Because, come on, we all grew up in the day back when D&D was all about the random charts. Before it was less engineered and situated. Well, some of us grew up in that. Other people <laughs> Too weren't, <young. laughs> weren't born anywhere near first, second, and third edition. Right. Guilty. That's true. There, there, are, there are some of us in the car that were not around until solidly 3.5 edition. It's, I love the charts, um, particularly the backgrounds, because it gives you, gives you incentive to build a story and a connection to your character. Yeah, and I think that's a lot of times players don't connect with a player with their character, so there's no investment. There's in it, they don't. They go the motions. They go through the motions. If where if you connect with a character. You think more into your actions, and you run into less of the situations where you know the, the game master has to remind you. You know you could do this because that it becomes something you're thinking about that character, and how would that character be? Yeah, like an actor, you put the the, the mask of the character on, and you feel the character, what your character would choose to do, as opposed to what you would do. I know as a player, sometimes I have hard time kind of sinking into my character. I mean, I have. The first character I ever built for D and D, I had no problem doing it for some reason. But a couple characters afterwards still don't always connect with the character as I do with certain other characters. But it's it's still fun to play them. It just kind of doesn't feel the same. It's it's more like you're playing a, a video game instead of a actual role playing character. Yeah, because you don't get that whole feeling of in the back of your head, you know exactly what the character would would do. Mm-hmm. You know, the character has grown into its own entity that when you get to that beautiful moment when you're leveling up and you're like, smart plays this, but your character would do the exact fucking opposite and you've got to be honest with your character and give do, do your character right and do what the character would want to do mm-hmm. rather than smart play. And sometimes the, what you want to do and what your character want to do are At complete different. odds, yeah. yeah. I, had, I had a character that was built with a very simple idea, and he was going to be a, a blackguard. Mm-hmm. The moment was there, the situation was perfect, it was presented on a silver platter, and he wouldn't do it. Yeah. Even though that's where I wanted to go with him, <laughs> it didn't feel right. It, it wouldn't be doing the character's storyline justice. Which is, come on, that's why we roleplay, you know, it's because we're running to write the stories of our characters. A lot of, a lot of the focus on the book seems to be getting your, getting your players immersed. Yeah, you know? it's huge in the, in the angle of, of understanding immersion. Which is a huge step. You know, if you can get your players immersed, it's so much more rewarding and enjoyable. Yeah. I mean, I know particularly for a player and... The few times I've really managed to swing that with a group, as a GM, it's awesome to watch people be immersed in their character. Oh, hell yeah. I mean, any game I've had where characters have, you know, people have literally slipped on their characters' costumes and just ran with it, it's insanely fun because that's that's the shit that becomes stories years later. Where you can sit there around the, you know, the couch and just BS about the story of, remember when so-and-so, dude... Remember when Val took over Las Vegas? You know, remember when, you know, this character did that? Or, you know, 
Remember when the one superhero character in our Thunderbolt style game killed her her lover's sister? <laughs> Just the 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 storylines that become epic, living on their own stories that you just you realize the character has to support itself and stand on its own feet rather than what you would like really like to do to make things easy. It's sorry, sometimes your character has to take that hard choice. Sometimes your character has to put another character down because it just happens. <laughs> the nature of the beast. <laughs> just because it happens. I know I've run into that a couple times. <laughs> and, and as long as that's done in story, there should be zero issues at the gaming table. Because you just look at it and say, sorry, so-and-so would have to do that. You know, let's all not forget, it's that classic D&D shtick where we can't torture this person because the paladin's in the room. Or we can't steal this because the paladin will catch us. And that's, you know, a lot of people complain that that's a pain in the ass situation, but that's a great story right there. That we have to have the paladin leave the room for some great reason so we can do this really bad, bad thing. Without them understanding why they're leaving. Exactly. I think I think players going against, you know, having the goody-goody in the group, it's, it's as bad a cop-out as the goody-goody... You know, playing the goody-goody so he doesn't have to make those calls. Yeah. It's, you know, as I'm a rogue and I'm partnered with a paladin, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. His back's turned, I'm in the pocket. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Which is good because it makes the character play their character. I mean, you if you're the five-finger discount guy, you got to be careful where you're doing your trade and how you're doing it. Yeah. It's, like I said, the immersion aspect of it really does help because it you'll avoid those those pitfalls of becoming frustrated you know the challenges of having the baldwin in the group becomes the thrill of getting away with it in right under the paladin's nose exactly mm-hmm. that becomes the story shit when you can sit there and say hey new guy at the table let me tell you about this time or the time that he tried to do it and failed so miserably that the paladin just had to turn on and just beat the crap out of him. <laughs> and that shit happens. So, for the uh, How to Game Master Like a Fucking Boss, which I love the title still. Yeah. Uh, by the way, pictures, there are some adult pictures in there, which when I had it at the office I had to use some post-its to cover up, but still, the pictures are fucking awesome. There's a great chart in the back of the book that also gives you a lot of uh, colorful words. Not language colorful, but just uh, literally speaking words that are very colorful and flavorful to add le- levels to your game, as well as a, a written magical language that you could use, use to drop into your game to get some actual depth to the world and to get more of that immersion. Um, the, it's hard to stress how important just having that artful vocabulary in play can help. It takes it to a whole new level. On the whole writing... I, you know, it's, I enjoy it. He's, dude's a little off. <laughs> I want to, you know, he's just a little bit off center, which I enjoy. You know, it, it's the fun quirk. He's quirky and it's enjoyable, but it, I could see it being, it's definitely not family oriented, driven in his thinking and storytelling. I'm, you know, I'm not sure I want my kids reading, reading the book at 13, 14 years oh, old. Oh, I would <laughs> definitely rate it a hard NC-17 or R for the book, you know. For, for those of you under the age of 16, you should probably wait a few years before you read this book because it is definitely on the adult side. 
with definite adult artwork. But again, it goes back to the, the classic van art, which I love. So on a scale of 1 to D20, what would you guys rate this book as? <laughs> D20. 1 to D20, huh? 1 to <laughs> D20. <laughs> and let's not figure, it's uh, cover price is $18 on Amazon. I'll have the link on it in the uh, picture in the show notes. And it's 122 pages of book with a lot of good artwork. And the cover's not bad either. And there's a lot of there's a lot of input in there. Even with the artwork, there's a lot of writing. It's not you know yeah. an art book with a few yeah it, and, few lines and tossed in. Even the the chapters that are small <clears throat> have a huge amount of context put into them. Mm-hmm. Just giving lots of examples of hey, in my situation in my life, here's what's happened to me. You know, in fairness, I'm gonna try. You know, I don't. I might come back to this later and think that I really underrated it but being as it's basically the first book review we're doing mm-hmm. I want to give myself room to shoot for the sky later yeah and I'm going to say I'm going to give it a 15 okay 1 to 20 give it a 15 it's it's good it's definitely helpful for a new GM it's going to be tremendously helpful for a GM that's well seasoned it's still going to be helpful yeah you know, you know, if you're on, a, if you're already a really good GM, and on top of your game, there's not a whole lot in there for you, because you put in the effort that he's telling you you need to do. Mm-hmm. You know, and like I said, 15 is just because I don't think I don't want to go 20 and then find a book later on that's blows it out of the water. Yeah. So you know, this might be a little bit low for him, and it's not meant to be. But I figure it's a good book. I would not feel at all ripped off if I, if I bought the book. Okay. JJ, what about for you? I think I'd have to give it about a 15, 16. Um, like, like he said, you know, if you, ha- if you already have a lot of the seasoning under your belt and, you know, you're kind of, you know what you're doing, it doesn't really help you. Um, I, do, I do like how easy it was to read. Um, it was very enjoyable. The it, like you said, it had amazing pictures. Yeah, it was completely full of content the entire way through. Had a lot of ideas that even as a player, I had never really thought about. So I mean, I do. I I I really did enjoy what I read of it. So I do have to agree with him about a fifteen sixteen. Um, but like it says, it's how did how did GM like a fucking boss. I assume that, you know, it's for, you know, people that are trying to learn how to do it. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I liked it. All right. I, I would definitely give it myself a 16 because I've read, like, the D&D Dungeon Master's Guide for four editions. And I got to admit, pretty much in a quarter of the size of the book of theirs, he's put all the information that you get from any of those and a lot more. One thing I really like is the anecdotes he puts in there here's the story and how it worked out for me. And then he gives you the options of, well, I could have done this, I could have done this, here's what you could do in your game, but here's what I went with. And the fact that he he pretty much ballparks right to the point of, you got to be prepared for these situations. Because these situations, and depending on whatever game you're playing, these situations will eventually come up. Because we've all had those gaming tables, these situations do happen in a real real world experience. 
So I would definitely give it a good solid 16 with with a little wiggle room to get up to a 17 easy. And the fact that, uh, <laughs> hey, for this book you're only paying $18 and DM's Guide you're paying $50 for, for 5th edition. And pretty much, like everybody always says with GMing, have fun, do it, and, you know, big thing is, remember, if you're GMing, it's your fucking table. You're the fucking boss, so do what you gotta do. And actually, the book does point that out. It, it, it is it, your table. It flat out says that. I mean, because remember, there is that so- unspoken social contract. If they want you to GM, they're asking you to take control. Granted, players will bust your chops, and later on, you know, if the players are really cool, they'll talk to you in private about it mm-hmm. instead of, you know, complaining at the table. I understand both sets of groups, but usually, you know, there's that implied respect that I respect you as a player, you respect me as a GM. If you're wanting to play in my game and come back next week, here's the way the game goes. We all are here to have fun. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, don't run the players away. Yeah. it's I've, I've actually been in games where GMs basically try to beat you into the ground just to get a little power play. That's not so fun. I, I've been in games where the GM's afraid to kill players. I mean, hell, half the time I feel like that in some of our podcasts because, you know, <laughs> I have yet to get any body counts in, in most of these games, but they've just been playing well. I mean... Guilty. <laughs> <laughs> I've lost a character to you. <laughs> you you have lost a character to me. And that little Nogri had it coming. <laughs> he did nothing wrong. <clears throat> he rolled two despairs back back. in a row. <laughs> he did nothing wrong. He just had a horrible string of luck. (laughs) Didn't do anything right either. (laughs) No, he didn't. And the thing is, when players die because of a bad string of luck, that's exactly what you chalk it up to. Yeah. Shit happens. Bad shit happens to bad people. Bad shit happens to good people. When shit happens, you gotta roll with it. It's the story happening on its own. It's it's the reason why we don't just read a book about the role-playing game. We actually play the game and we roll the dice of chance to see what can happen in the situation. If there's a chance for failure, failure can happen. I mean, they even do bring that up in the book, is the whole have a backup character. You know, that way, just in case. Now, of course, I always want to caution. Be careful having too many backup characters, because sometimes you can fall in love with them really quick. And all of a sudden, you fall out of... It's it's like the whole new girlfriend, old girlfriend thing. You fall in love with the new character you just made, because you can see where that character can go. And then you forget the old girlfriend. (laughs) I, that's so, actually something that I never thought about was actually having a backup character. It's okay, you're young. <laughs> I and it's something that I don't generally do because the I will fall the, the, in love with it. Yeah, yeah. I put a lot of thought into all my characters, and you know I get an idea and I can get stuck on it. Yeah, and then all of a sudden you realize, hey, this new story idea is better than the old story idea, which. In role-playing games, like he says, keep it fluid because your players may say something that's so much cooler than what you had planned. And you're like, holy shit, let's roll with that idea because that's better. You know? And then, wait, wait, let's call it... And he even covers that whole, sometimes you just need to call a break at the table to get your head back in the game as a GM and get the story back to where you want it to go, what what the story arc is, and then bring them back at the table so that way you've got your shit together. And I think, you know, the calling for their break is also a time when something just completely left fields you, and, or you, a player drops a brilliant idea in your lap that you need to just figure out how to work. And to pay it, to give it its due justice. 
I think we've had a couple of those with the Star Wars game. Oh, dude, there's a reason why as a GM I love narrative dice. Because half the time I'm sitting behind the table doing the game. And I'm like, fuck if I know what's going to happen. I mean, I have my outline. I have two or three random encounter concepts that I can come up with. That, okay, this can happen, this can happen, this can happen. And then I just sit back and watch you guys roll dice. And I see what the hell comes up. I mean... And as a GM, I mean, Dan can attest to the old Rift days, back when we get together and roll, roll what, 12 to 18-hour games just on the fly. Yeah, that was the good I old mean, days. that was the days, of course, when you take two to three hours just to make one character. You don't want to see that character die too quick. <laughs> so you get married to that character real quick and get real protective of the precious. That's, that's kind of how I make my characters, though, is I generally put quite mm-hmm. a bit of time into making it, seeing where I want it to build up to and really think through how I want the character to develop. Yeah, so that way you know, okay, here's what I am here, here's what I want to be in a few levels. Like like I always joke with our D&D players is, where do you want to be in five levels? Where do you want to be in ten levels? Where do you want to be in 15 levels? Okay, now what happens if that doesn't happen? Because <laughs> sometimes, you know, as you're, you, you've got this beautiful plan, it's just like in real life. Life is what happens while you're making plans. Mm-hmm. Sometimes a bad dice roll will do this, or a bad dice roll will do that, and things happen. Well, so, any final thoughts? If you're if you're looking at GMing for the first time, definitely. If I, you're if you're GM a couple times, still on the definitely. If you're struggling as a GM, give it a read. It's got some. It it can probably hit where you're dealing with you guys. Obviously, been doing it a long time. Oh yeah. You know, I think there's something like 35 years. So he's hit. Probably every situation you've dealt with. Yeah, and uh, if you read the book, you actually get some contact information to reach out if you have any questions. Because just like most old GMs, dude, guys, we've been there. We've seen it happen. We know what happens. I've even joked with Mark over at Tucson Games and Gadgets that we need to come up with a GM support group. (laughs) Because there's just those sometimes that you want to talk to another GM on a GM to GM level. So that way you can talk about, you know, not disparagingly about your players, but just talking about the situation and how would you have handled it. Because, you know, I just want to make sure that, you know, a lot of people don't realize how much one person is, is like another person. You know, we, we as a pack mentality, we think alike. We do. We try to think we're individuals, not very similar, but people fall into the same cliques and habits. You know, stereotypes are stereotypes for a reason. So it's it's just good to be able to reach out to another GM and find out that, you know, they feel your suffering, you know. It, it's it's like an old soldier talking to another old soldier. There's that unspoken, you know, understanding that's right there in the situation. And if you do have any questions, by all means, reach out to the Creative Plan Podcast Network. I mean, if I can't answer the question, I'll definitely pass it on to any of the other GMs in our group because we got quite a few players that also GM. And, hey, one of his words of advice is A, know when you're about to have burnout, so that way you don't take it out on the players, and change up GM sometimes. I mean, like I've even joked a couple articles that I've shared with my gaming group is how to avoid GM burnout is to offer to say, hey, can I run a session or two? Because it's amazing how much just getting to play every now and then is a huge refresher. I've got a few folks that have actually asked to join in our games because they GM all the time and they, they, they want to get away from the GM screen. I know, I keep trying to talk Kelly into jamming a game, but she's afraid of jamming one. 
And that's another thing, folks, is don't be afraid to GM because all you're really doing is playing a different role than just a player. You're playing all the other folks for people. And really, when it comes to, to, to RPGing, it's just about gaming with your friends and having fun. And if you do GM a game and you do horrible and you do awful, send us a message. I'll top whatever you did. <laughs> I, have, I have either games I ran where I did worse, I promise. <laughs> or I know somebody who did worse. I guarantee. Hey, we always have that game where I, we did, what, 26 hours straight of gaming? And in the middle of a superhero game, completely out of context and completely out of meaning and completely out of setting, I say zombies are coming out of the air conditioner. <laughs> and all of a sudden I realized when all my players turned around at once and went, What? The fuck? And I realized, oh shit. I fell asleep while GMing, but my mouth continued working and playing the game while my brain shut down, and I was having a zombie dream while GMing a fucking game. And that usually, guys, is that point when you should say, I need to stop GMing and get a few hours sleep, because that's pretty much what we did at that marathon game. True, but see, even that's not bad. Yeah. There was the, what, 99 levels of the same robots and ninjas. Oh, yeah, yeah, that was a fun game that I, I was not running, thankfully. But it was pretty much a Matrix effective level after level after level after level that were all basically the exact same encounter. But, hey, even when stuff like that happens, I had a talk with the GM in that game, and I shared ideas of, I love this concept, here's what I may have done a little differently. So that way you're, you're bouncing off ideas, you're learning from any, you know any rough experiences, just like, you know, Pretty much like a boss should talk to anybody is the whole let's share our good business practices so that way we give all the best experiences that we can. An idea to go along with the book, find other resources, other GMs. If you go to a local game shop, I'm sure you can find one who'd be more than happy to talk to somebody else who can share their hopes, their pains, their dreams. Yeah. I mean, that's that's honestly one reason why I started listening to other RPG podcasts myself before we started ours was I was just curious... How the fuck did other games get ran? You know, what is the golden secret that they run? I mean, that's why we go to Rincon every year. It's just to see how the different GMs run different games. And then you just come to realize of, hey, they're not doing anything special than I could. And then you realize that, hey, I can do it too. You know, and you, you just have to relax and give yourself permission to do it. And not give in to the usual fears and the anxieties and things like that. That, hey... Sometimes you're going to make a game, the story ends up sucking, and it's nowhere as cool as you thought it was. Oh, well, roll with it. You may get lucky when you're running that game. One of your players may turn to the other players and go, Oh, my God, I think I figured it out. I think da-da-da-da-da-da. And you immediately start scribbling down notes and changing the train of, of events to, You know what? That sounds excellent. Give me more ammunition. And then you just let the person just go off. Because there's, there's inevitably, at every gaming table, there's that person that wants to guess the, the end of the story. Mm -hmm. I mean, me personally, I'm one of those guys, I don't like seeing movie previews. Because just by seeing the previews, I go, oh my god, what if... Da -da 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 -da. Or the worst part is, hey, from seeing these previews, here's how I do it. I mean, or even taking movie ideas, and after we see the movies, going, hey... This ended this way, but I would say, what if, da-da-da-da-da-da, you know, do, play the what-if game, because, come on, Dan, I remember back in the day, you loved the, the Marvel Comics what-if. Yeah, Because I mean, it would 
it would take a canon story and then screw that story up and throw it out in a whole different fashion for you to just play off the idea. It's the don't be 100% stuck on canon. You know, Disney with Star Wars, canon. Stay away from the canon now. You can, you can play with ex- as much extended universe in your home games as possible. I actually think that's kind of why I don't like the whole Forgotten Realms personally. Is because you're you're stuck to that's the this is this is this pigeonholed. Yeah, the 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 pigeonholed sandbox. I like the fluidity of we can do what the fuck we want. Yeah, don't pigeonhole your players. Don't pigeonhole yourself. Don't pigeonhole your game. Because hey, if uh, you have a cool idea, go with what's going on in the game table. Save your idea because you can always recycle it and use it later. I mean, how many stories have I written and put in folders and just cast away of someday we might use this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, GMing piece of paper and a pen just for writing notes as because you have an idea hit you. Oh, shit, yeah. I mean, I use my smartphone. I use my audio recorder on my smartphone. You can be at work, at lunch, walking by, you hear music. All kinds of things can constantly inspire you. And also you can be like, Hey, holy shit, I just got told this story. That would be a great adventure. Or, holy shit, I just saw this in the newspaper. This would be a great situation for an adventure. Take notes because write down the adventure in the, in the encounter. A story for it will later on unfold. Also, another thing that the, that the book touched on is uh, as a GM, you should always leave enough leeway in the game so that way you can be surprised by what happens in the game. There should always be at least one or so parts of the game that even the GM kind of has to sit back and go like, wow, that was amazing. Yeah, because that makes the game fulfilling for you as a GM because it's not just a choose-your-own-adventure book. It's they get to write it, you get to write it, they get to write it, you get to write it. It's a constantly evolving thing. It's not hey, this is set in stone. It's, guys, shock and homie. Mm-hmm. I mean, as, as a GM, like when it comes to the Dresden-style RPG, I love that game because part the whole best part of the Dresden-verse, you know, the Dresden-style RPG is world-building involves all of your players and you coming up with threats and themes and places so that way your players are telling us what they want to see in the game. And by all means, communicate with your GM. I mean, for, from a player point of view, let your GM know what it is you guys want because, my God, it's hard second-guessing. And as a GM, get your players invested in their character. You know, it's he's got the tables in the back with that give you a background. The background, you know, was working in the mines as a slave. Okay, There's an automatic reward in that because your character is a little bit physically stronger. You know, if you can get them into that, you know... Um, you do a reward, you know, build a backstory for the character, and it's worth extra experience. It's worth it because it makes that connection. Yeah, and, ba- and basically you, there's a, <coughs> a reward to having a history to your character. And I think that's, you know, you have, you reward them for doing it, and it, it encourages, you know, even if the players, you know, if they're not a particularly good player or they're a particularly engaged player, giving them that incentive will get them involved it'll improve them uh yeah i do believe one of his uh, chapters he calls it bribe the players oh bribe the players yeah bribe the players S- set up a situation that you 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 promise that there will be a reward like we were talking for the edge of empire game was hey i'll give you 50 extra exp if you write 
five things that I'm looking for in a storyline. So that way you've got that, you know your character, and I know your character, which is the hardest thing. Because as a GM, when your players are playing their character, unless they're dropping a lot of hints and things, you don't know their character until they unfold that character in that story. And that can take months of real lifetime. I mean, to actually get to see enough of the character to understand the concept. Yet to the player, it's all in their head, and they know every mm-hmm. inch of it, maybe. But it's just like with the GM, you know that every inch of that world, for the most part... If you don't tell your players, they don't know about it. Mm-hmm. I Wait. mean, like John Wick, uh, he's one of the GMs that uh, does a lot of conferences at Rincon. As he put it, if you write five or six books worth of material of your game world and your players never get to see or hear it, you're basically just mentally masturbating your own story. <laughs> if you're not sharing it with them, there's no need for it. You know, don't clutter up much, but it's good that you know it, but... Just, you know, make sure you're sharing it with them because even if it's an A, like when we do the NPC spotlights, I'm telling you guys what's going on with the NPCs in their points of view. You know, like in Scion, you have Lucius who's got his own little plot thing going and I've got another NPC spotlight coming up next week and that'll help add a little more depth of, hey, this is why this jerkwad is doing this. Mm-hmm. Or maybe he's not so bad. And uh, personally, I think that uh, coming up with a really good backstory actually helps with the immersion of the character. Definitely. Because I've noticed that the very first character that I made, I put a lot of time to his background, who he was, who his enemy was, what his true intentions were. And he's the best character that I have that I can immerse with. And a lot of my other characters, like my Star Wars characters, there's just... They're kind of designed as, like, you know, what I want them to do. But they don't have a background, so it's kind of hard to become one with that character. Yeah. That's that's a really good point. So, to wrap it up with the closing, what would you guys like to close with? Thanks for listening. Like I said, you know, if you've GM'd, it's worth the look. If you haven't GM'd, it's definitely worth your time. And if you're not sure about jamming, give it a try. You're not going to do, you're not going to be the worst ever. Trust me, I have one that's done worse. <laughs> JJ? Um, as someone who's never GM'd, I personally liked where it was going. Um, as a player, I liked where it was going because it gave me ideas as a player that I never had. So, even if, in all honesty, even if you're not thinking about GMing, it helps you think of where a GM is going with things, so it might help you help the GM. That's a, that's a really good point. And and like I said, for me, if you have any other GMing books or GMing magazines on your bookshelf, get this book. It's one of those of, <clears throat> if you play D&D and you have a GM's guide, if you play Rifts or Palladium and you have any of the Rifters on your shelf, this book belongs up there with those that you can read through. And... Honestly, even if you're the world's best GM, there are some funny-ass stories in there. I mean, honestly, that are worth reading just to get the chuckle out of it. Yeah. And I uh, definitely want to say thank you to Venger for writing this book, sharing it with us. And uh, we may be hearing more from him because apparently he's been writing some more stuff. Thank you, folks. All right, guys. Like usual, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to the Creative Play and Podcast Network. And feel free to enjoy our other shows, such as 
D&D Journey of the Fifth Edition, and Scion, Ragnarok and Roll, a Scion hero to Ragnarok story. Thank you for listening. The book is How to Game Like a Fucking Boss by Venger Asna Satanus. I believe that is not how it is. What it is. What did I say? Game Master. What did I say? You said game. game. I thought I said Game Master. No, you skipped, you skipped the God master. God damn it. So read it again. I can clip it.